Welcome back to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Buds. I am Matt, your host today. Joining me, as always, is Richard. Richard, what is going on, buddy? You have a very important matchup this week in our Dynasty League. Tell us what's going on with that matchup. Well, I jinxed it with our last podcast and saying Liam Hendricks and you were wrong and I was right. (laughs) Uh, I jinxed it. I think the day after we recorded or two days after, he goes out with a forearm strain. So that's fun. That's real great. So let's uh, let's take well, a look. What was, at your, what was your original question? Sorry, Got how off the track right off the beginning? Yeah, um, and we we're gonna have to jump into that almost immediately, but we'll circle back around here. How do you feel about this matchup this week? Why is it important? And what is the current circumstances surrounding that matchup in our dynasty league? So in our dynasty league, I lost last week to you, um, which we predicted on the last week's podcast. I think every one of your pitchers had a quality start and a win, which was huge for you. But this week, I am facing Reed, one of our nemesises in this league. He, I think he's tied with the record for you in the lead in your division at 7-3. and three. And this is a must-win for me because I've got a brutal stretch against three contending teams the next three weeks. So if I can pull out going... I don't know, three and three over this rough six game stretch I have, I'll be happy because the last three games of my season are should be winnable games. So I'm hoping I can finish out the season six and three dating back to last week. But as far as the matchup goes this week, I did start out with a, a commanding lead off the bat. I had Corbin Burns get me 29.3 points as well as Logan Webb got me um, seven strikeouts and a quality start didn't get the win, but I'm currently up by about 55 points and his two pitchers that won today kind of shit the bed. Joe Ryan, he did get a quality start, but he's not going to get the win. And Nestor Cortez came back down to earth, went four and a third inning with four in earned runs. So I guess it comes to beg the question, Matt, what, how do you feel about Nestor Cortez? Do you think he was just a flash in the pan? Do you think he's a real deal? Just going through a rough stretch? What do you think? It's funny. That was uh, that was going to be my next question for you. So I'm glad we're going to be able to talk about this a little bit. I think what we're going to see with Nestor Cortez now is um, kind of a lightened version of Ranger Suarez in terms of how he's actually going to be impacted. I think the last blow up he had where they really sat on his cutter uh, is, is going to be what teams do. And I think you mentioned that in the last podcast. You know, if, if the book is out, it's very simple now, right? He's going to have a couple okay starts. Might have a really nice start and then have a couple more okay starts. But the absolute stretch of dominance that we saw from him was never, con- it wasn't con- going to be consistent. It wasn't going to be uh, what we saw from Cortez over the rest of his career. We were going to see that regression. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now. And honestly, the regression's not terrible. You know, like this is still a very startable player um, and especially a startable Sparp. But that that's kind of my takeaway. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I. I want to see a couple more starts out of him, especially against some lower-end teams as well as high-end teams to kind of get a feel for him. Maybe teams have adjusted to his cutter, and now it's time for him to start using some other pitches. I know he's got a deceptive fastball. doesn't have the highest velocity, but has pretty good spin rate. So if he can start mixing in some different pitches and locate them, I think we could see kind of a bounce back from him but I don't think he's going to be nearly as high as he was at the beginning of the season I would love to see him throw a sinker I, I don't know if his fastball is a sinker um, I think within in, within Yankee Stadium and within some of the matchups that he's going to face in that division having that sinker if that cutter's not working could be a really really big asset uh, but again you know you said it perfectly we have to wait and see as you know more starts continue and to see how this ball translates right i think we're starting to hear around the league that the ball has changed yet again uh it is starting to heat up so maybe major league baseball is looking for more of an offensive impact maybe they have gone back to some of the tighter seamed balls and if that's the case guys like nestor cortez well they're gonna get hit there's no question about that because everybody's gonna get hit but kind of breaking down today's show for you guys we have some news and notes that we're going to get into here Richie and I are going to look back on our relief pitcher rankings as well as some of the Sparps that are performing well this season. And then we're going to re-rank our top 10 for you. We're going to keep Sparps out of that tar- top 10. We're going to st- stick with just closers and relievers. 
We are then going to facilitate a few of the next prospects on The Verge, guys that might be able to come up and have an impact for you. And then we're at that time of the season where most of the prospects, at least highly touted prospects, have made their debuts now that O'Neill Cruz is back in the league. So we're kind of going to go through our dynasty rankings for the next five years based off the rookies who have come up this season and kind of give you an overall look of how we feel about them and what to expect. Uh, But we'll jump right into it, Richie. What are some of the news and notes that we have around the league? Yeah, I kind of mentioned it right off the beginning. Liam Hendricks went out with a forearm strain. He hit the IL. They're thinking it's going to be about a three-week stay. There was some news that came out that he might be able to start playing catch later this week. So that is good news if it is a mild forearm strain. But when you hear forearm strain, I always fear the worst and always think, okay, here comes the Tommy John. I think that's just our natural gut reaction. So we'll see what happens with him. You also mentioned O'Neill Cruz and Riley Green debuted since our last podcast. Both have showed promising signs in their debuts. I heard a stat from the CBS guys. They said O'Neill Cruz in the first three innings logged the fastest infield throw to first base, had the fastest log speed for the Pirates, as well as the hardest hit ball for the Pirates, all within the first three innings. So that's very promising. We'll see what happens with him. I do have my doubts. I love him. I think he has the Aaron Judge potential, but I worry about his plate discipline. And once pitchers figure him out, I think we'll see his strikeout rates start to balloon. And then it's going to come down to like what we see with every rookie. Can they adjust or are they going to get sent back down? We've seen it with Joe Adele. We've seen it with other guys. I think that's going to happen with Antonio Cruz. I think the first two, three weeks we see here are going to be phenomenal. He's going to be on fire. Then there's going to be some tape on him. People are going to start adjusting to him, and he's going to go cold a little bit. Um, let's see, Mad Max. Max Scherzer uh, threw 65 uh, pitches in a minor league rehab assignment today. Jacob deGrom is set to face live batters later this week. Jack Flaherty was set to start his second game today. Last I checked, he had three walks in the first two innings, which was not looking too good. I haven't checked since. Chris Sales started rehabbing. Mookie Betts suffered a cracked rib, which is not good. Fernando Tatis did not get promising news on his wrist. It is not healing the way they thought it would. Chris Bryant is set to possibly return this weekend as he is going to start a minor league rehab assignment. Jonathan India returns, started cold out of the gate, but he did have a home run and a walk as of this podcast, so that's a welcome sign. And then Wander Franco is possibly set to return this weekend. So kind of threw a lot at you, Matt. What are some takeaways you got here? Yeah, um, speaking on O'Neill Cruz, you know, we kind of texted back and forth the last 24 hours after his debut. Very, very impressive. And I think, you know, he's one of those guys, much like Aaron Judge, where you see it in front of your eyes that he's just a raw specimen, right? He's he's the best athlete and performer on the field if he has everything going. And I think that's what you saw from some of those numbers and those takeaways that CBS posted. Everything he did was better than everybody else. It's just, can he do it consistently? Can he stay healthy? You brought up the strikeout rate. I am interested to see how that progresses. Taller framed guys in general have an issue with the strike zone because it's it's bigger, right? You have more zone to cover. He was at a 22% strikeout rate at AAA. Uh, I think that's more than reasonable. I think that's totally fine. If he can replicate that in the major leagues, I think he's going to have an incredible career. Um, and I, th- I think ultimately he's going to use that hit tool and that power to post a good average, to have good power numbers, but he's going to have to be patient. And you said that. There were a couple of times I saw a couple of his at-bats even today where that patience didn't necessarily swing through and he's popping a few balls up to left field. But again, like I watch how he has an impact on that team and it's they're a better team now. Like they have more fun. They actually feel like, hey, we have a chance to go out there and win now. And I just think that's he should have been up at the beginning of the season. Like it's kind of just ridiculous to me that they waited for this Super 2 to pass and here he is up in the major leagues. Like he's the best player on that team today, in my opinion. Um, you know, Brian Reynolds is a nice player, but he's not O'Neill Cruz. So fantasy perspective, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit in the dynasty rankings. And then Jack Flaherty, not a good start tonight, three innings. Uh, I think he's probably two or three weeks away from starting in fantasy leagues. I'm not going to touch him. He's going to sit on the bench. You know, we'll see where that goes. 
uh, Chris Sale. I started him in my categories league. Yeah, I mean yeah. three runs. It was rough. It was three he runs. He gave tonight. him five walks. I just checked with one mm-hmm. strikeout. So. He's not ready. Like I, I don't know he what did. they were doing. Doesn't hurt my ERA so much, but my whip probably is through the roof. I don't even want to check right now. Yeah, well, and I started the kid for the Cubs last night. The uh, is it Killian? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Oh, Caleb Killian. Yeah. His yeah, that was rough. Was not on point. No. Nope. Usually he doesn't walk anybody. I think he had five walks in that game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yep. Started him in a categories league. It was great for my whip and my ERA. So my week's basically over because of him. Um, <laughs> you know that's how it is. But to wrap up news and notes, uh, I would just say. Are we starting to get concerned about Tatis's long-term career here with this wrist? Do you think this might alter the entire path of his career? I think we were concerned about that last year. Or was mm-hmm. it two years ago? Well, the shoulder. I yeah. was concerned with the shoulder. Uh, the wrist, yeah, I mean, look at Cabrian Hayes. He had that wrist injury, and now he's got no power. Now, was that a product of the juice ball? Maybe, but... Now you look at other guys like Alex Kirloff was supposed to have a tremendous power, had a wrist injury last year, starts this year, also has a wrist injury. Now he's back, back in the majors. He was hitting for power again in AAA. So maybe it is, but whenever you hear wrist injuries, I I just don't like those. I'm very skeptical of them. I don't have any data in front of me to say, yeah, the success rate of coming back from a wrist injury is high versus none, but... My gut feeling says your career is going to take a hit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and to have the circumstances of, <clears throat> you know, he'll be back by June. Here we are, you know, working our way to July. And he hasn't even started bat work yet. And it's like, okay, not only did you break your wrist, it's not healing properly, right? And you, you brought up Alex Kirloff, whose wrist also didn't heal properly, right? He had to have the, uh, the injection before he was sent down to AAA and had to do that rehab. And it's like, well, you don't just want to mask the problem, right? Because now, you, now you're putting it off until the next off season, and now you need another surgery. So, definitely something to monitor. I think the last important news and notes that we have is Wander Franco's return. I, I'm interested to see if we see a better version of Wander Franco when he comes back. I think that quad was probably bothering him for about a month, a month and a half before he went on the IL. Uh, there were plenty of games that I would watch where he would he would favor it. You know, you could see him like actually grab it. And it's like, okay, so his his numbers definitely took a uh, a step backwards, and he had a nice April. So I think that's something to be uh, to be intrigued by. But Richie, let's move along here. We're going to talk a little bit about about our SP rankings, and we're going to take a look at as to what we had coming into the season. So. I listed them for us here in our news and notes. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think uh, we used your rankings first, and then I put my rankings next to yours. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I did not. Okay. I was not that high on Edwin Diaz. I mean, you know, Liam Hendricks. Here we are. You know, like we're right with the one-two for the most part. If you look at today's rankings. Um, we had Iglesias. We, yeah, we were wrong about Ryan Presley. We, we, I had at number four, you had at five. That's basically because you had Edwin Diaz at three. So I think your top three are good. Ryan Presley dealt with some injury though. So I think he can bounce back and get back up into that top five, but I'm a little bit hesitant to put him there. Uh, moving actually, I have him in my top five. For the rest of the season. Well, and one of the big reasons you had Iglesias three, I had him four, was the opportunity, right? And that was something that I was a little bit concerned about preseason. You looked at his ERA last year, and he's a guy that gives up runs. You know, he's not a shutdown closer, but he's a guy through volume that should get you good points. Should be a top five closer, and he's just really shut the bed this season, hasn't he? Yeah, he's not been good at all. One of the one mistakes I had in my categories league was grabbing him, so. He, I mean, he gets me the saves, but he hurts me in all the other categories, which yeah, same. has been kind of like a, a burden. Yeah, same. And then uh, to see Kenley Jansen climb up this list, and it's probably in the just the past three weeks, I would say, with the Braves in that 14-game winning streak, uh, I was definitely surprised to see that today when I was doing this list. I, I really haven't followed Kenley Jansen. I haven't been a big Kenley Jansen supporter at all. Uh, and here he is with 18 saves coming into today. And he's going to actually break my top five rest of season. What do you what do you think of Jansen's performance so far? Do you feel like it was just because of that hot streak? I think he's going to get the opportunities. We're talking about the World Series champions here. They got Ronald Acuna back. They finally found 
in my opinion, a hole with Michael Harris that's filled. You got Dansby Swanson, who's on fire right now. And those aren't even their main guys. That's, you know, you still got Marcelo Zuna, who still needs to turn it around. They lost Ozzy Albi, so that hurts. But I think they can figure it out from there. Matt Olson's been on tear. He's got six RBIs today. So I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for Kenley Jansen. I have him ranked fourth rest of the season. Um, so, yeah, I believe that even if he does give up some runs, I still think the volume alone is going to push him into that top five. So let's uh, let's do a little exercise here real quick before we go into rest of season RP rankings top 10. Let's go through our top 15. And for the most part, we have all the same, just different orders here. So out of the 15, let's go through hit and miss. So we have Josh Hader hit. We have Liam Hendricks hit. Honestly, you got to say with Iglesias with the volume hit, I don't think ranking-wise we had him properly, but, you know, he's a top 15 closer. Uh, Ryan Presley hit, Emmanuel Classe hit, Edwin Diaz hit, Kenley Jansen hit. Blake Trinan looks like our first kind of bust because, well, when we did our list, he was technically supposed to be the closer. So I think we have to give ourselves a mulligan there. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos, I, I, I would say, is probably a miss at this point. Um, Jordan Romano hit Corey Knabel. What do you think? I think Knabel's no, got to be a Knabel, miss. I think, I think everybody outside our top 10 is, is a bust. Mm-hmm. Corey Knabel, Andrew Kittredge. I mean, he was looking good, but now he's got Tommy John. Aroldis Chapman's never looked good and has injury. Joe Barlow and Scott Barlow, they're okay. But, I mean, it just goes to show you that, you know, the top 8 to 10 closers in the game are solid. And then once you get outside of there, you start getting question marks and possible committees. And I feel like we talk about it every single year. Now, in my rest of season rankings, which we might as well just get into, I have Taylor Rogers, who at the time we did our preseason rankings was still part of the Twins, I believe. And now he's for the Padres, their clear cut closer. And he's been phenomenal for them. What do you think of Taylor Rogers? Yeah, I think Rogers is a volume guy. Um, you know, I I agree with you 100%. I wish I had picked him up when he was dropped the day before. I think he was traded to the Padres because of that volume that he's given our, our league owners with his rostering. Um, but with that being said, I think the volume concept is really what you're looking for because Hader is really the only guy on this list outside of maybe Classe. Um, who comes in with the strikeout performance. You know, like you're getting 9.9 points usually out of Hater, which is a, a save and two or three strikeouts. 9.9 in our league is three strikeouts and a save. Uh, no walks, no earned runs. And, I mean, that's a 10-point performance right there, right? That's, that's a killer. If you get those three times a week, that's 30 points. You're in a huge advantage place. But very rarely do closers get more than a strikeout or two these days. They're just You don't see that dominance anymore. Um, so with that being said, you're looking for volume. And I think when I went into the season, I looked at guys like Jordan Romano. I looked at guys, uh, like Edwin Diaz. I overlooked Kenley Jansen. There's no question about that. Um, but what I did not want to draft was guys like Jorge Lopez or David Bednar. Um, and I didn't want to draft guys like Ryan Presley because of the age, but it's interesting in our top tens, we both have Bednar. And I think that's because we're finally at a point where the Pirates are good enough to win games. And when they are winning games, they're not good enough to blow teams out. So Bednar, again, a guy like, you know, a volume guy. Um, in kind of comparison, you have Jorge Lopez here at, at nine. I actually really like that because I, I'd say the same thing about the Orioles. I think Lopez's whip is like a .85. His ERA is under, I think, 1.5. He's just absolutely incredible. Will he get the same volume that guys like Romano and Presley and Rogers are going to get? No, but that's why we have those guys ranked higher, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why I liked Jorge Lopez is he's actually sporting a .79 ERA. And the Orioles aren't as this team that's going to get ran over like they used to. Like They don't have the greatest pitching, but their pitchers are doing enough where, yeah, they might give up two to four runs, but they have some bats in Austin Hayes. Ryan Mountcastle is kind of coming around. Trey Mancini. They've got these guys who can at least produce them some runs and keep them in games. And now with the new MLB scheduling, I forget how they do it, but you have to play everybody in your your league. So the Baltimore Orioles are playing more AL teams, which means they get more teams against the AL Central. 
and we know that's a bottom feeder with the Tigers and the Guardians and the Royals. So when you're playing teams like that more often, you're going to get more save opportunities. So I, that's kind of the reason why I put Jorge Lopez in there. And plus there's no other reliever who's really going to threaten him for his job. I think it's pretty secure. And that's kind of why, as far as volume goes, Jorge Lopez isn't going to be up there with other guys in here. I can't think off the top of my head. Maybe a Scott Barlow or a Joe Barlow or Sir Anthony Dominguez. You know, the Phillies are going to have more win opportunities than the Orioles, no doubt, but it's Sir Anthony Dominguez, and, like, he might lose his role if he blows up. Jorge Lopez, I think, is going out there every single time, and that's why I liked him, and that's the same goes for David Bednar. Yeah, that, that is our difference. I have Sir Anthony in over um, Lopez, and I picked Sir Anthony because the real honest truth is I just I think the Phillies' bullpen is fucking terrible. And I, I think ultimately this is a good team. We've seen the ability for them to win games, and I think those games are going to be close. And Dominguez has got good stuff. Um, you know, someone's got to have that job. And honestly, we've been kind of waiting for Sir Anthony Dominguez to have that closer role, I'd say, for four years now, right? He's always kind of been the guy that's just not good enough on that bullpen staff to take the job, or he's just been too inconsistent with injury where it's like, okay, someone else solidifies himself at the position. So, I kind of threw Dominguez in there as kind of a dart in the board and just hoping I hit a bullseye. Um, I think the last one we want to talk about here, I have two more. We'll talk about uh, Clay Holmes first. Uh, Richie, you know, Chapman's coming back. The Yankees have said that they're going to utilize Clay Holmes in high leverage situations. They did not go as far to say as he is our closer. So from a fantasy perspective, with that being said, do you have confidence that continuing to roster Clay Holmes will be beneficial for your teams from either a saves, holds, and strikeouts perspective, or are you concerned that with Chapman coming back, this really diminishes Holmes' roster ability? If you have Holmes in a holds and saves league, you do not drop him. He is 100% rosterable, hands down. I would agree that on pure talent alone, I would want I would probably put Clay Holmes actually probably number five over Presley and Taylor Rogers where you have him I believe his stuff is that filthy and he's that good but the Yankees are paying Araldis Chapman way too much money for him not to be the closer and I feel like he's the type of guy to get angry and kind of stir up some locker room drama if he's not the closer kind of have a hissy fit not saying he's done that but that's just kind of the, the vibes I get you also have Mike King there who could steal some saves has, you know, depends on, we were talking about this, I think off the air with Kendall Graveman, how yesterday he came in in the eighth, but it was the heart of the Toronto lineup. And then Joe Kelly came in for the bottom of the lineup, gives up two runs, but secures the save. You know, they might do the same thing with Clay Holmes while Chapman's out, bring him in for the heart of the order. And now it just happens. Mike King gets the, the close or the save. And that's kind of what we're seeing with Ryan Helsley, which you have at eight here. Another reason why I didn't put him in my top 10 is for the simple fact of they're going to put Helsley up against the heart of the order because I don't think they trust Giovanni Gallegos to take on that one through six um, lineup anymore. If the heart of the lineup is in the eighth inning, that's when Helsley goes in. And then, you know, they'll leave Giovanni Gallegos to take on six through nine, five through nine, whatever it is. And I think those are the only reasons. Pure talent alone, I agree with your rankings. It's interesting. So I'm watching the game right now, the Brewer game, right? Um, and because of Flaherty's inability to pitch deep into games and working his way back, basically rehabbing at the major league level, they basically had a bullpen game today. Flaherty went three innings. So if you look at the box score here, you're going to see, again, a bullpen game. Gallegos went two innings. He went six, seven. Helsey came in for the 3-4-5 in the 8th, and here he is back in the ninth, trying to lock down a 2-inning save. And sure, there's great value there, right? This is something that we could see again from Clay Holmes because Holmes has the stamina to be, you know, more than a multi or more than a single-inning reliever. Um, but it's going to be a, interesting how many more of these teams, as we get closer to playoff times, that don't have these solidified guys, right? continue to move in this direction of, you know, mix and match. And I think the Giants with, um, is it Duvall? Am I saying that correctly? Duvall? Yeah, Camille Duvall. Duvall, yep. Yeah. That's that's another situation to monitor. Um, you know, we have, 
I have seven guys that I'm comfortable with, really. Um, outside of that, you said it, you know, even I guess I have six because Clay Holmes is my seven. And that's incredible to think about, you know, like six guys that I can lock in and have no problem with. Um, but again, if you're in a points league and you have a second relief pitcher slot, it's not the end of the world. If you've got one of those six guys, okay, you've got, you've got them, lock them and start them. That second guy can be that spark or it can be a guy that you mix and match around with like a Ryan Helsley um, or Sir Anthony Dominguez, you know. Uh, last question for you, Richie. So you have Liam Hendricks in at number two. Um, you're not. I do concerned. have asterisks in that. Correct, but this is our rest I'm, of I'm season putting, top ten. I'm, he I'm is hurt. In, I'm putting it as he is going to come back from the forearm strain, and he's going to be back, and it'll be normal. Okay, so you're going to take a stance though and rank him as your second RP, even with today knowing that he has a forearm strain. Correct. I like it. There's confidence there. And honestly, I hope you're right because uh, Aaron well, Ashby. If it, was a, if it was a serious forum strain, I feel like they would have handled the situation completely differently. I'm wondering if it's like a forearm strain where it's one of yours and mine were like, uh, you know, my arm hurts from throwing it from center field to home plate because I was angry and I thought I could throw the guy out and my arm's not fully stretched. So like, <laughs> now I got a strain on my, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you watch Liam Hendricks throw on the mound, he looks like what you he. I envision you being Liam Hendricks in the majors. He just looks angry, and he looks like when he throws a ball, he's throwing at your face, and it's actually going down the middle of the plate. And that's the difference between you and him. You'd actually hit me in the head. <laughs> <laughs> but Plus, you know what you I know, mean? Like he's got that velocity. No big deal. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean, though. He's got that intensity to him where like. I feel like he would overthrow and maybe that I, I'm just speculating at this point, but I, I'm not too concerned. If it was something serious, we would have, I feel like we would have heard about it by now. Well, yeah, I agree with that. And I, I, I also, I'm intrigued here because forearm strange for the longest time, whether it was, you know, Oh, I, I braced myself as when I was falling and strained on my arm up oh, done for the year to here we are with him and Aaron Ashby both having forearm strains and for the most part both organizations not really being concerned about it right like we had the uh, Zach Gallon injury was it last year right where we were like okay he's a UCL strain there's a big difference in just a well, forearm no, strain wasn't it a partially torn UCL too yeah but that's what a, that's what a UCL strain is right like that's what a strain yeah. is a strain is a tear like it's not a full tear but it is a tear so forearm strain, is it the flexor tendon? Is it the UCL? Is it like what part of the forearm did you actually strain? And maybe that's where Hendricks and Ashby got lucky, right? I, I don't, I'm just speculating too. Like I just don't understand enough about the anatomy of the body to really understand these injuries. But usually when we hear a forearm strain, they're done for six to eight weeks. Easy, immediately. Yeah, I, I agree. And maybe that's a, we just don't know the severity of it. So for the for that that I'm just the fact that he's already like trying to play catch. You look at people like Jesus Lazardo. He's been out with a forearm strain for almost two months now. Correct. Correct. Same uh, diagnosis, absolutely. but different severities. You yep. we have no idea. Absolutely, and that's that's kind of right where it's like we'd like these these managers of these organizations to come out and be like, yeah, he's had a he's a forearm three strain. Uh, he's fucked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we we won't see him for uh, three years. Uh, yeah, we're 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 done. As opposed oh, we to we got these Liam guys. Hendricks over here. He's got a zero point four forearm strain, so he'll be out for just a week and a half. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, okay, all right, we have a good understanding now because you know fantasy baseball is more important than the actual game. Uh, but let's move along here, Richie. We have had a lot of prospects come up this season. Uh, we're going to get to them in a minute. We are at this point going to kind of gauge. Who's left? Who may be able to come up this season and provide an impact? You have a couple of guys that you've listed here. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about them and then give your honest assessment of are they coming up this season? And if they do, when you think they might get that call? Yeah, so there was a lot of guys I wanted to put on here. But for this criteria, in my mind, you have to be producing at either double A or triple A in order to be good be getting called up now and making an impact for the fantasy season from here on out. So I strictly looked at that and 
the, the first guy here we've talked about, Vinny Pasquantino. He's at AAA. He's batting 277 with 17 home runs. But the thing I like here is the 34 walks, the 35 strikeouts. That shows it's going to translate. But they do have Carlos Santana. There's speculation. They're trying to move him as they're not really contending. So as far as Vinny Pasquantino goes, I don't think we see him until maybe August, September, or if they trade Carlos Santana. So I wouldn't really stash him at this point unless it's a deeper dynasty league. Then Gunnar Henderson, middle infielder for the Baltimore Orioles. He's currently at AAA. Was, uh, I believe, at AA to start the season, but while he's at AAA, he's batting 300. Only has two home runs, but his OPS is 1,006 which is pretty good. Pretty much anything over 8, 850, you're, you're pretty good there. But what I like here is he's got 41 walks to 38 strikeouts. He's got more walks than strikeouts. I like that plate discipline. The average is there. I don't think it's going to be too much power, but this might be somebody for categories league as a middle infielder. The Orioles have shown that they're not really holding back anymore. They brought up Adley Rutschman. Maybe we see Gunnar Henderson soon. But realistically, he might also be an August call-up. Here's the one I think might be getting called up in the next month or two if he produces. And that's Taj Bradley, double-A starting pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's sporting a 203 ERA over 50 or 53 in the third innings. He's got 67 strikeouts, but here's the kicker. He's got only 13 walks. We talk about guys who have command of the strike zone, people like George Kirby and other prospects um, that come up and can actually translate. When you have command like that, it's going to translate. This kind of reminds me, I don't want to compare him to Shane Baz or Boz, but it kind of reminds me of him last year when he was progressing through the minors. Then these next three I have, Miguel Vargas, AAA, Ethan Small, AAA, <clears throat> and Ryan Pepiat. I'm butchering that um, at AAA. Pepiat, starting pitcher for the Dodgers, got a filthy changeup. 177 ERA, and he's got 60 strikeouts in 45 and two-thirds. Not really sure when we're going to see him come up. Ethan Small, same thing. If the Brewers keep having injuries, he might come up. I don't know if he's really going to produce much for you. He's kind of got a higher ERA, and he's got 31 walks in 49 and two-thirds innings. I don't like that. And then I feel like we've talked about this guy, Miguel Vargas. 278 batting average at AAA with 10 home runs. Got a little bit higher strikeouts with 48 compared to 37 walks. So realistically, to make a serious impact for fantasy, I really only think it's going to be Taj Bradley and maybe Vinny Pasquantino. But those other four guys I would be keeping an eye on. Yeah, and Pasquantino's had a pretty rough June so far. I was looking into his game logs uh, last night. Has struggled a bit. Uh, you said it, Gunner's... Kid's the real deal. He's going to be the next big-time hitting prospect for the Orioles. Bradley's really nice, man. They just keep pumping out pitchers. And, and you know, it's it's important, I think, for that organization because their hitting is probably the worst in the league. They did just call up um, Josh Lau, so, you know, Nate Lau's brother. And I think that will help. But they need those pitchers to develop. Um, I have a couple more names for you. They're guys that have actually sent you – in Jackson in our group chat, they're names that I just want to throw out there because they're so, so deep down that they might be just fun to keep an eye on. Asturi Ruiz for the Padres, that's AAA affiliate. He's 23 years old, second base outfield. He is an outfielder technically for them, batting 360, 13 home runs, 48 RBIs. His OPS is at a 1.120. Uh, kind of ridiculous numbers for him as well as the next guy I'm about to bring up. They are West Coast numbers, so uh, I'm almost positive he plays in the PCL. PCL numbers have been, for the most part, extremely inflated over the last few years, if you remember correctly. Uh, Gavin Lux was basically a Babe Ruth in the minor leagues, um, and he is in the PCL. He's playing for El Paso. Uh, so just be mindful of that, but a guy to keep an eye on. You know, with some of the injuries that the Padres have incurred, I think they might be looking for a spark. And when you have a guy batting 360 in the minor leagues, at some point he might get that call. Again, though, mindfulness that Ty France was also hitting 399 in the minor leagues when he got the call and just did not produce for the Padres. And then the last guy uh, I do want to bring up here is actually a guy I uh, sent you guys this morning, Richie. 
It's Emmanuel Valdez, uh, not even on ESPN's player radar. I think that's pretty incredible for a 23-year-old. He is 5'9", third base, second base guy, AAA affiliate for the Astros, batting 357, 17 home runs with a 1.142 OPS. Uh, Richie, I'm sure you're not thinking of rostering these guys, but it is fun to look a little bit at some of these guys that are just scorching in the minor leagues. Once in a while, they do come up and actually do something. Yeah, absolutely. I love looking at those guys, and I also kind of have the same skepticism as you have with are they just hitting because they're in the PCL, or do they actually have the true raw talent and the power? And that's kind of where I try to look at Baseball America's scouting report on what power they give. You know, Gavin Lux didn't have much of a power as far as Baseball America gave him, and it's translating. You're seeing it. Was he got one or two home runs in the the majors, and he's been up for three months playing consistently. So I think that's a good a good way to give yourself a reality check is to see what the scouts give them as far as what they are. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I I fully agree, and I think I think the book is kind of out now on the PCL. Uh, I think Lux is probably the last guy where. Major League and Minor League Baseball executives thought, okay, Gavin Lux is going to be the next real deal at second base. The Dodgers should have traded him. You know, like you had, you literally had a lottery ticket because the PCL inflated his stats so much. I think he was out here in Vegas at the AAA affiliate at the time. If I remember correctly, he's hitting like 330, 340, had like 25 home runs. You know, his OPS was similar um, territory as these guys above 1,000. And here he is in the majors, and what's his big takeaway is he's not a good hitter. And it's like, well, that wasn't the case at AAA. Um, air's thinner, right? There's no way around that. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right, Richie, we're going to finish the show off today with a little bit of a prospect overview. So as we talked about earlier, a lot of the guys that we've been monitoring over the last couple of years have made their debut this season or finally gotten the call. So we've put together a little chart for you, the listener, as to where our rankings are. I have actually made it, so we're going to kind of see if Richie has any of these guys at a different tier. Um, And I have done my list based off of the expectations for the next five years. So we'll go over the player, uh, kind of list what I think their net neutral average will be over the next five years. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see what Richie's thoughts are. So we're starting off with Julio Rodriguez at the number one position of current rookies, and I have uh, broken up rookie batters and then rookie pitchers. So Julio Rodriguez, number one, 285, 32 home runs, 100 RBIs, and 20 stolen bases. I feel like that's a net average for him over the next five years. Uh, Richie, what are your thoughts on Rodriguez as number one, as well as possibly his numbers? I think you're too low on his batting average. <clears throat> I think we're seeing a guy who's going to be hitting 300 consistently, but I do agree I think he's going to hit at least 30 home runs every single year, give you 20 stolen bases, and damn near give you 100 RBI and 100 runs every single year. I I do kind of like the similar order of what you have. The only thing I would probably do realistically is swap where you have Bobby Witt and O'Neill Cruz and leave exactly everything else the same. So that's interesting. Um, And I thought about this really, really hard, and... I only for these for the sole fact listed O'Neill Cruz. I have no, no O'Neill Cruz number two overall here for the physical demonstration he performed. Um, Bobby Witt doesn't have it, you know. Like I, I've watched enough of Bobby Witt this season to just he's another bat out there. Like I don't see this elite level player that we talked about at the minor leagues doesn't have elite power, doesn't have elite speed, doesn't have elite fielding. Um, I think he can be a nice player, but you know, we'll just look at the numbers here. I have O'Neill Cruz at two seventy two three thirty. That's kind of the sixty point range. Um, I think in all reality, he's probably a two seventy hitter. But I think with a really nice Babbitt year, he could hit three thirty. We've seen it before, kind of that outrageousness because again, the exit velo is so high. Um, and then again, twenty to forty home runs probably in the first couple of years. Twenty. If he can stay healthy come year four or five, I honestly think if he's in the right field corner, he could hit 40 home runs. Um, but then the numbers looking at Bobby Witt, 280, 25 home runs, 85 RBIs, 12 stolen bases. I think that's even kind of uh, kind for Bobby Witt. Well, 
Bobby Wood does have a home run tonight on my bench in my categories league. So that's Correct. Fun. It was a pop-up to right field that happened to go out. I think that's if you're listening, look at his uh, Tuesday night home run. It was off Reed Detmers, and it was it was laughable that the ball even went out. It looked like it was going to go 100 feet. Well, okay, so I'll say this. I, I do think Bobby Wood is going to be number two in a categories league. He does already have 10 stolen bases for the year, so I think this is going to be a guy who's going to be pushing 30, 30, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases on a routine basis. I do think he's going to be batting right around that 280, 270. My thing is with O'Neill Cruz is I'm not ready to say he's going to be a 270 to 330 hitter because I need to see how he adjusts to pitchers adjusting to him. And so for that, I'm kind of going to take a conservative approach and think give him a 250 to 260 batting average. But I agree with your power. I agree with your RBIs. Um, I think you're actually kind of low on stolen bases with 10. This is a guy who runs faster than Tyree Kill. So I think he could get closer to 2025. For the listeners, was it you or me? Either one. We sent something uh, over Instagram. It was a side-by-side of Tyree Kill and O'Neill Cruz. And I was like, Matt, look, he's faster than the cheetah. And you're like, yeah, but he doesn't have pads on. I was like, doesn't matter. He's still fast. <laughs> um, yeah, he stole a bag today. He's he's just elite athlete, Richie. Like I, I you, you just you know it when you see it. You know, like when his top line speed got going tonight, I was like, oh my god, yeah, like that, that's a guy. And I don't I don't see that from Bobby Witt Jr. Um, and I guess I have a question for you here. And, you know, this is just healthy, healthy competitiveness for me, questioning some of the things you said about O'Neill Cruz. And obviously I own O'Neill Cruz, so I'm a little more bullish. Um, but Bobby Witt's batting 236. So we haven't yet seen him make an adjustment. What makes you so confident that he, because he's been up longer, he will just make this adjustment as opposed to, say, O'Neill Cruz, who's only played in four major league games? Well, and I'm, I could be wrong on Bobby Witt too, but I will note that Bobby Witt was batting sub 200 to begin the year, the first two months. And I even told you I was contemplating dropping Bobby Witt. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, I think he started the season halfway decent. He had a home run. I, I mean, it's two, three months ago now, but I thought we were talking about Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt hitting home runs to start their career. And they're like, oh, they're the next best thing. You know, here they are. Um, can't miss prospects, and then they went cold, and then they had to rebound. And I think we're starting to see Bobby Witt start to rebound. You're not going to see it in his overall average because he did have that two months of trying to figure out the major leagues. But I, I think we're going to start seeing it. I don't think you're going to see it reflected in the full statistics for the whole year. But I think Bobby Witt finishes the year right around 250 for this year. I think next year we kind of see him get closer to 260, 270. And then the following year after that, I think, is when he's going to truly blossom. Okay. I like that. I, I actually, I fully agree with you. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with O'Neill Cruz. I need to see him. I mean, he's going to be phenomenal. I need to see him struggle for that month or two and see how he rebounds to that. And okay. then I'll give my full take on him. Okay. And well, yeah, and this is, you know, this is mid-season for us. This is, uh, you know, we'll readjust, we'll reassess this in the off-season. Um, but I do, I do actually like that take a lot. And honestly, really thinking about it with O'Neill Cruz and Bobby Witt, where I have them rated, um, I think I'm actually going to move Witt above Torkelson. So I have Julio Rodriguez, O'Neill Cruz, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, Bobby Witt, just for the Witt purposes here. Um, and I say that because Bobby Witt's going to have more of a, a foundation around him in that lineup, right? MJ, MJ Melendez is there. Vinny Pasquantino's there. Uh, you have Prado coming up as well. You have Perez, who should be there for the next three, four years. Like, There's going to be a, a stronger foundation in Kansas City for him to have counting stats. The same thing can't be said in Pittsburgh. That team is terrible. Even with him, and as fun as they're going to be with him playing, you know, the second best hitter over the last couple of days that I watched was that kid that played for the Brewers and for Seattle. Dan Vogelbach. Oh, there you go. Bach, Bach, Bach. Dan Vogelbach. <laughs> he might be their second best hitter. And, like, I don't know. I just – it's hard to think about. You'd have to be such an elite-level player to 
to be number two on this list with that kind of team. Um, and I think that might be what really hurt, holds O'Neill Cruz back from from being elite, right? Is like he might just not have those counting stats. And when he hits when he hits 40 home runs, he may get 80 RBIs that season because there's just nobody ever on base for him. Um, okay, so moving on, we've talked about Witt and we've talked about Cruz here. Next is Riley Green. Uh, number three overall on my list, 300 average, 20 home runs, 90 runs, 90 RBIs, seven stolen bases, followed up by his counterpart there in Detroit, Spencer Torkelson, 260, 33 home runs, 100 RBIs. How do you feel about both of these players where they're rated, uh, ranked, and then their projections? I like everything. The only thing I would say is you might be a little low on both of their home run totals. I think Torkelson and his heyday will get you 35 to 40. I think Riley Green is going to consistently get you right around 25. Yeah, and that's what's scary about Riley Green. I think out of all of these guys, I'm going to take Julio Rodriguez out of this equation because he's a bona fide superstar. Um, I think Riley Green's the safest. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, and I was extremely upset when you picked him up at the end of last season because that was one of the guys <laughs> I was going to pick up. But I ran out of fab very fast last year. Um, okay, so we've talked about Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt comes in here, one, two, three, four, five, it looks like. Um, MJ Melendez I have listed actually next, the first catcher on our board, 260, 25 home runs, 75 RBIs. He's the first catcher I have, Richie. Gabriel Moreno is a little bit lower on this list. Uh, and I actually don't have Francisco Alvarez yet because he's not up. How do you feel about those three catchers kind of lumped in as one group? Yeah, if we were ranking Alvarez, I would put him probably at the top of this list. Uh-huh. Um, and then I guess it comes down to do you want average or do you want power? Because if you want average, I think Gabriel Moreno is going to be better than MJ Melendez. But if you want power, I think MJ Melendez is your guy. I do think Melendez is going to hit right around 250, 260. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, I mean, 324, his projected average is a little bullish. Um, bullish, it I is. Would, I would probably go 280, 290 to be on the safe side because he does have a great hit tool. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of where I stand with him. Well, and it's funny. I put 320 because I just don't know how much he plays over the next five years. And that's, you know... They've got Kirk. They've got uh, Jansen, right? Like, you've got the kid from the White Sox. Like, there's just so many players in that catcher position for the Blue Jays where it's like, damn, if you guys can get four games a week each, you're lucky. Um, and I felt like that 320 might be aided by that, by that rest, by that ability to play matchups. But definitely bullish there. Michael Harris is coming in right after MJ Melendez here. He was a hard one for me to rank because – there's very little power in this profile, especially in the minor leagues. He's more of a great, great baseball player as opposed to a good fantasy player, but we've seen a good fantasy player so far. I have him at 315, 15 home runs, 100 runs, 70 RBIs, and 70 stolen bases. I think I'd even want to bump that RBI to like 60. Did you just say 70 stolen bases? <laughs> 10 stolen bases. That'd be great. I mean, <laughs> that should be the number one player on our board right here, right? I think he's fast, but not that fast. <laughs> Shit. What uh, do you think of Harris? Um, yeah, I like him. I, I keep wondering if the floor is just going to fall off because yeah. he went jump from double A to the yeah. majors, and it just hasn't happened. And he didn't hit for power, and I was watching – I don't remember which game it was, but the announcer said he changed his batting stance and lowered his arm slot yep. and his elbows, and he added, like, I want to say three or four miles per hour on his exit velocity, and since then I think he's hit, what, two or three home runs since then. So I do think he will be right around a 300 hitter. I really don't know what his power is going to be. He kind of reminds me of... Kind of like Francisco Lindor when he came up, like you know he's gonna have a batting average, but not somebody who is known to hit for power, and then it just comes out of nowhere. He reminds like, me of Yelich, is it like a Miami Yelich. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, yeah, I mean he's fun to watch. I watch a lot of Braves games, uh, just having Ronald Acuna and Austin Riley in my categories in points league, so. I'm always watching those games, and when he comes up, I just like seeing him. He just 
looks calm and cool. He, um, his looks remind me a lot of Jason Hayward in his mm. prime. Mm. I like that. I like that comp too, though. He even looks like too. Jason. He Hayward. looks like him. Yeah. Um, how incredible! You get called up from Double A and you make a batting stance adjustment. <laughs> the balls on that kid, though. Like, right. Like, uh, I'm just gonna move like, my hey, hands kid. down three inches. <laughs> hey, kid, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, or yeah, or the coaches immediately saw something and they're like, "No, lower your hands." And he's like, "Oh wow, that that works well." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, no kidding, it does." Um, okay, so next player on this list is really my last call it bona fide uh, hitter. And last thing I want to say about Michael Harris here, um, this is the new profile that I'm following for fantasy baseball because we just don't see a lot of these big time power guys. I think Michael Harris, I think Riley Green, I think Corbin Carroll. Um, is there anybody else in this, this this hitter profile that you can think of, Richie? That like these are the guys that you want to grab, the contact guys. Uh, not off the top of my head. I'd have to do some more research. I would say Gunnar Henderson, same way, right? Like just a bat to ball guy, and you know he hits some home runs, but it's because their swings just that great. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Let me. While you think on that, I'm going to go over the next few players. So um, Jeremy Pena comes in next at the list. I think he's probably the last guy that I'm really confident in and will be, will be a fantasy starter. Uh, Jeremy Pena I have at 265, 20 home runs, 80 runs, 75 RBIs. Uh, I was a little bit bearish on the average as well as the home runs and a little more bullish on the runs and the RBIs. I think in that lineup, the counting stats are always going to come in pretty well. Uh, next guy, also a middle infielder, fielder, Luis Garcia, uh, shortstop second baseman for the Washington Nationals. 300 average, 15 home runs, uh, 70 runs, 65 RBI. Definitely contact guy first. Um, what are your thoughts on both of those infielders, and do you think maybe Garcia has a better career, or is it definitely Pena's? I think Pena's going to have more home runs, and he's going to have more lineup security. You're talking about a Nationals team that is currently in a rebuild. Luis Garcia, they brought him up a couple years ago. Didn't produce, but he was super young. What is he, 20, 21? So they brought him up when he was super young, wasn't ready to produce. So I think we, we can see him you know, be that 300 hitter. I just wonder if he's going to be able to produce power. He is young, though, so he could add some weight, so there is the potential there. But as far as your first question on any other players that are like thinking I'd want to grab, just quickly looked at the top 100, and the one that stuck out to me, and it's for deeper dynasty leagues, would be Robert Hassel, the third yep. Hands for the down. Padres. Yep. He was 2020 first-round draft pick for the Padres, eighth overall. He's in high A right now, but he's killing it. He's batting 309 in high A right now. He has eight home runs. Um, last year, he was in low A and then made it up to high A. And over the course of that, he batted 302 across both of them with 11 home runs. So he's not going to give you too much power. But you look at him, and he's skinny, but he's got a tall frame. He can definitely put on some weight, and maybe he can... Um, you know, maybe produce some power. I mean, he is only 21 years old, so or 20 years old. So he does does have some growing to go to do. Yeah, I think Hassel's absolutely a fantastic um, like comp there to really put in that classification. He was and will be compared to Zach Veen the rest of their careers. Uh, if I remember correctly, Hassel was taken a pick before or after Veen. We will have to take a look back on that draft at another time, but. Veen's a guy that I had rostered for a while and kind of recently dropped because he doesn't fall into this grouping of contact first guys. You Zach know, Veen was taken ninth overall. Hassel was eighth. Yes. Okay. So the Padres chose to take Hassel over Veen. Um, and I think Hassel was a Florida kid. I think Veen was also Florida. Anyways, um, I, I'll be interested to see what Veen can do because Veen is going to come into more of an approach, I think, like MJ Melendez, where you know, a, a very corked up swing as opposed to Hassel, uh, Riley Green, uh, Michael Harris, Corbin Carroll, which is very, you know, just ebbs and flows of the game, you know, bats very quick to the ball. 
And I think Hassel's a guy that if in dynasty leagues you can go out and acquire, he's the next name to enter this tier. And once he makes his major league debut, those counting stats with that kind of roster help of Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis is really going to aid him in counting numbers. So I think that was a really good one there, Richie. Um, last few names for you here. We have Seiya Suzuki, so 26, 27-year-old for the Cubs, um, you know, obviously coming over from international ball, 250, 25 home runs. Home runs, I think, you know, we'll see. I think he could have some really good amount of power in him, but I'm trying to be as balanced as possible with those 25 home runs. What are your thoughts on his numbers, Richie? Uh, on whose numbers? Uh, we're talking Seiyu Suzuki here. I don't know. This is tough for me to, to judge Suzuki. I want to see what he does when he gets back from the injured list here. I, I kind of like what you have here, the 250-25 home runs. I think that's kind of a modest approach here. I think his ceiling is 275 with 35 home mm-hmm. runs. Yeah. But I also could see his floor being 200 with 15 home yeah, runs. Yeah, I know. I think the it's variance crazy. between him is so wide right now. That I don't know how to judge him. Well, and he's gonna hit 275 with 35 home runs the year after hitting 200 with 15 home runs, just so that the people that draft him in round 15 and 16 win their leagues, right? Yeah, remember Otani <laughs> had a hor- Chris Davis Otani had a horrible, <laughs> yeah, had a horrible, horrible season, slid to like the 16th, 17th round, and. You knew how high I was on him. I was like, he's going to have a bounce back here. I want to take him in the fifth round. You were like, no, 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 no. You got to at least wait to the 10th. And I was so, so uh, trigger happy to get him. But uh, I, I think that's, I don't want to compare him to Otani because he's not Otani, but that's kind of what I think. It's like you could have a year of 200 with 20 home runs and you could have a year with 300 with 40 home runs well and you know you you talk about the rebound and so in seeing the rebound from o'neill cruz as well as bobby witt here uh we talked about that earlier and we have not had that opportunity with suzuki yet kind of he's been mulled in this streak of uh pitchers just dominating him right like after that those first two and a half weeks where he was so good pitchers really have had his number and, and i want to see him make that adjustment because he will, right? He's a 26, 27 year old. Like it's just a matter of time. And then after he's made that adjustment, what is the baseline for Suzuki look like? I don't know yet know that we can gauge him properly, but I think 250 and 25 is kind of that median where it's a safe guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, can, I agree. Uh, moving on here. We talked about Gabriel Moreno a little bit earlier. He comes in next on this list. Again, dynasty rankings, uh, we have Alec Thomas coming in next, right above Nolan Gorman. So Alec Thomas, we have a 270 average, 15 home runs, 65 runs, 60 RBIs. While we have Nolan Gorman, I was not kind to you, Nolan. No, I am sorry. Uh, batting 230 over the next five years with 30 home runs. Nolan did have two home runs in the Brewers-Cardinals game today. What are your thoughts on on kind of the ranking of Thomas and Gorman? You mean uh, Nolan Gorman, Joey Gallo Light? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Um, yeah, I think he's not going to bat for average at all, but he's going to produce a lot of homers. Alec Thomas, um, I'd probably give him closer to 280 and maybe 10 home runs. I don't think he's going to produce a lot of power for you. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with everything else. It's uh, it's funny as we're as we're doing this, I am playing Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt, and they they're not too kind uh, to me today. Um, they currently have both have a home run, so you know, way to go. Uh, all right, lastly, wrapping up this list, we have Jaron Duran, uh, two seventy, fifteen home runs, fifteen stolen bases, seventy runs, very similar numbers to what I kind of projected, Alec Thomas. Uh, I, I have Duran listed a little bit lower because of playing time concerns. Also, I think Thomas, you know, is going to play with Carroll. He's going to play on a team where there's always going to be at-bats. Um, is listing, again, another Duran. We have Ezekiel Duran here for the Rangers. I do not have any numbers listed for him or anyone left. Brennan Donovan comes in next. Luis Gonzalez for the Giants, 26-year-old, is, is next after Brennan Donovan. And then finally to wrap it up, Stephen Kwan. Uh, so Duran, Richie, kind of the same concept I'm thinking here, like playing time concerns. Like where is your head at with Jaron Duran? Yeah, I think eventually they're just going to have to play him. I think 
I think he kind of fits right here in this list, but I also feel he could rise the most out of this list. We just haven't seen enough. I could see him maybe jumping all the way up past Jeremy Pena, right behind Michael Harris. Um, and I could also see him being at the very bottom. There's just not enough to say here um, for me, but I think, yeah, it's a, a pretty a pretty reasonable comp here with the 270, 15 homers, and 15 stolen bases. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he, he's not in that Hassel, Carroll, uh, Harris, Green category. I think that's tier A. I think he could be tier B, though. We just don't know yet. Um, going over some of the pitchers, I, I haven't listed any of their pitching stats or their projections because, in all honesty, that would just be uh, fabrication. I think it's impossible to kind of build out what these pitchers are going to turn into with injury and, and also you know development. Uh, number one on the list, though, is Mackenzie Gore. I, I do believe that as a left-hander, uh, you, he's going to have the opportunity to be the number one on this board. I also think he's the most polished between him and Hunter Green, who were really fighting it out for the number one spot here. I think Hunter Green probably has far and away the best season in the next five years, but I think Gore is the most consistent. Uh, I have George Kirby coming in at number three. I think probably Mr. Consistency on this list over the next five years. You're going to talk about a guy that's going to be a top 20 pitcher and just, you know, smooth, smooth sailing. Guy's going to be just good. Uh, I have Spencer Strider coming in at number four purely for his stuff, for his ability to get strikeouts. I took him over Joe Ryan because of the exact opposite reasons. Ryan just does not have that dominant stuff. And then um, how do I pronounce his name, Richie? Yo is it Johan Duran? Yeah, I think you got it. Johan Duran. You're, you're yeah. a little bit more um, bullish than I am on him. Uh, closer starting pitcher. Do you think we see Duran as a starter again, or is he going to be that bullpen guy? No, I think he's he's too much of a two-pitch pitcher, doesn't rely on his third, and he really doesn't know where his stuff is going. So I think long-term, I don't think we, we see him do that. I think we see him kind of like how we saw with Josh Hader, and if he can kind of control it a little bit, I think we can see him as a top-five closer. Well, and then with that said, why not just put Spencer Strider back there once Jansen's contract is done at the end of the season, right? Like... I think Strider falls into that exact classification. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. He's only got the two pitches, and we saw he's so erratic. But when he's on, he's going to produce crazy numbers. Well, it's hard, too, when you go when you look at the track, the track history of two-pitch pitchers. Like, I think Freddie Peralta did the league a disservice last season where he really overproduced. Um you know, here he is kind of what we he is, is a 350 to 4 ERA guy. And last season with his sub 3 ERA really kind of tricked people. But I think that's what Strider really is as well. You know, a guy that's just really, 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 really good and can have some really good starts. But you put him in that closers role like Duran, talking about a guy that you have as a closer for six, seven years. What do you think of the overall rankings? Would you rather have Kirby or Green at your number one slot or do you like Gore there? Put me on the spot. I did. Uh, pure stuff. I like green, but I don't think he's going to control it. I think he's also due for another Tommy John. George Kirby is going to have the control. It's just a matter of if he can develop his stuff. And Mackenzie Gore is kind of a hodgepodge of all of it, you know. I think his stuff is better than Kirby's, but less than green's. But I think his control is better than green's, but less than Kirby's. <laughs> yeah. So it's like... Yeah. Pick your poison, you yep. know? I mean, ideally, you'd want the guy with the best control and the best stuff, but I don't think out of those three guys you have that. So I'd be torn between Kirby and Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. Um, I think I'd probably lean Kirby just because they're gonna, he's going to have less blow-up games and he's going to be more consistent, and I value that a lot in categories, Roto, and points leagues. Yeah, no, and I I actually agree with you with that idea. I, I it's it's hard for us here too because you roster in a dynasty league Kirby I roster Mackenzie Gore so of course so we're, we're gonna we're, have we're our bias gonna be biased yeah, yeah. Uh, and if you were to offer me Kirby for Mackenzie Gore I would say no just like I think you would say no if I did the same I like Gore for the the idea of strikeouts I traded Kyle Wright who's having a very very good season about two weeks ago for Mackenzie Gore because of that fact I like that Gore can get to ten strikeouts um, I think Kirby can. Just think it's very far, you know, very far and few between. 
Um, but I'm telling you, man, I think I do think Hunter Green, if he can stay healthy, we could see a 20 win, 300 strikeout, you know, just two, five I will ERA. Say this. Just I do think all three of these guys will be top 25, top 30 starting pitchers for maybe not next year, maybe not the year after, but in five years from now, I mm-hmm. almost certain as long granted injuries could play a role, but injuries aside, I think they'd all be top 25, top 30 starting pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. Um, all right, Richie, do we have anything left for the listener? I don't think so. Great show today. Uh, like that. We were able to talk dynasty rankings. We will retouch on this maybe end of season or in the off season. Now that we've kind of built this foundation for where we view players, uh, obviously very similar in a lot of classifications here and very different with this Bobby Witt and O'Neill Cruz. Um, but I think that's good. I think that's healthy. Uh, just to wrap the show today, we did have some interesting uh, closer blow-ups. Jordan Romano did blow a save tonight. So maybe some movings in the rankings. But uh, I wanted to thank you guys for listening. Make sure you tune in next week. We will have more prospect talk as well as news and notes, and we will fill you in on what's going on in baseball. We'll see you next time.